passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Welcome everybody to Rewind a Dynamite. My name is Wei Ting, and joining me, backed by very, very popular demand in uh, the digital world and also in the real world, from what I understand, we have <laughs> Bruce Lord joining us again. How are you doing, Bruce? Doing pretty well, Wei. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah, yeah. Things seem to have gone over pretty well uh, for the last couple of appearances here, so hopefully, hopefully we can keep that going. How have you been over the past week? Um, decent, actually. You know, um whatever it, it, it's locked down it's you know trying to trying to isolate as much as you can so you sort of have to uh you know have to do what you can to sort of try to stay sane and everything and in my case that's just taking the form of just binging on as much uh pure arrest as i possibly can uh you know trying to keep up with uh all the new japan tournament stuff as well as uh ddt and, and noah business so yeah you know i mean it, it's easy to, or not easy, but easier to hold off from going outside or whatever if if, if you've got some some crazy Japanese wrestling to watch. Well, um, I, I actually haven't really been keeping up at all with the Tag League or the Best of the Super Juniors. Are there any highlights that you might recommend thus far? Um, the Tag League hasn't been great, I'll, I'll admit. It, there's been a couple of okay uh, okay matches there, but, but nothing super fantastic. Um, in terms of the Super Juniors, um, for me, obviously, uh, you know, Takahashi's you know, most of most of Hiromu's matches are, are going to be worth watching, uh, as well as Desperados. Those have been the highlights. Uh, really, I, I, oddly enough, for me with the Tag League, the, the thing I'm kind of interested in is uh, Hanare and how they're presenting him in this uh, this tag team with, with Tanahashi in terms of, you know, because he was somebody who was obviously about to start kind of getting a proper push just before, before everything shut down. So interested to see where they sort of position him and, and what sort of stories they start telling with him. So I know you said you might not be doing a whole lot uh, with the lockdown going on, but um, I'm curious to know if you'll be doing any sort of Black Friday shopping this weekend. Uh, maybe a little bit of online shopping. I'm sure as hell not going to any mall or anything like that. There's probably some Christmas shopping that I can get done uh, on, on various websites. There were a few. I was actually planning on uh, on getting some of those uh, uh, the IWGP heavyweight um, pins that they have over at a uh, pro wrestling tees, but they sold out of them just when I was going to go grab them. So no luck there, but uh, you know, yeah, probably, probably get some, some Christmas shopping done at, at PWT and whatnot. Well, I hope that whatnot includes store.postwrestling.com <laughs> post wrestling store right now. We've got a 20% off sale going on all week for black Friday, all the way until cyber Monday. So if you go to the store right now, store.postwrestling.com, 
T-shirts are all 20% off. That includes all of our post-wrestling T-shirts. That includes Rocky Maivia Picture Show T-shirts. That includes post-pro-res T-shirts or Bushby and Thompson's Wrestling Adventure. Uh, And so speaking of Bushby and Thompson's Wrestling Adventure, that kind of perfectly leads into our segue for the schedule coming out. First of all, uh, what is on the site right now? We have a whole lot of stuff. And those of you who have been sorely missing John Pollock, as we all have, uh, you can get a bit of a, uh, I guess, I don't know, uh, a a fill of, of, of John Pollock as he not only joined me for our ECW Anarchy Rules 1999, Rewind Away, that's currently out on the Patreon right now. Uh, Great fun talking about that show involving Taz, uh, who has a big presence on tonight's episode of Dynamite as well. So that's up there on the Post Wrestling Cafe for all of our patrons. As well, John spent some time reading the Young Bucks autobiography and typing a a very well well written uh, a little kind of like review slash like retrospective on the Young Bucks career, which you can read right now at postwrestling.com. All the while like <laughs> managing who knows what at, at home. Uh the man with, with more than uh enough on his plate at at, at the moment. So we, we try to continue to give him as much time he as uh, to to him and his family as we can. So that's all up there right now. Uh we've got an MLW report from uh, uh, John Ceno that's on the website. We've got an impact report from last night from Davey Portman that's on the website. Andrew Thompson has an exclusive interview with Mance Warner. You can watch that on Andrew Thompson interviews on YouTube, or you can read the written version of it on postwrestling.com. But speaking, of course, of Andrew Thompson, he will be joined with Martin Bushby tomorrow on the Wrestling Adventure on the BWE feed they will be going over ROH's Manhattan Mayhem 2 featuring the 2007 Wrestling Observer Newsletter Match of the Year in Takeshi Morishima versus Brian Danielson. That's a match you can find right now on YouTube, on the ROH YouTube for free. So if you wanted to watch that before the, the review tomorrow, uh, you can do that. It'll also be linked in the show description. Uh, but why don't we just bring the man on right now to talk about the day's news. Andrew Thompson, are you there? I am here, waiting. What's going on, Chief? You're very busy, very, very busy with the, a lot, whole lot of presence at postwrestling.com uh, in the form of podcasts, in the form of interviews, in the form of uh, your face being on t-shirt designs. So just really taking over the entire website. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Can we get a special shout out to one Bruce Lord for his appearance on last week's Dynamite? A great appearance, might I say. Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> great yeah, job man. from Bruce, of course. As they be, man, it's been a, uh, it's been quite, quite the newsworthy week uh, in pro wrestling, as usual. Well, what's going on today? Well, today, uh, unfortunately, we got to start off with some, some, some bad news. A uh, longtime TNA slash Impact employee, Bob Ryder, passed away today. Um, a, a number of people uh, within pro wrestling came out and you know, showed, said their condolences to his family and loved ones, like uh, uh Matt Hardy, Frankie Kazarian, Sanjay Dutt, Taz, Drake Maverick, Christopher Daniels. And many more, uh, you know, paid their respects to the life of uh, Bob Ryder. He was a, a travel director for Impact for a long time, and uh, mo- most rest, uh, most remember him for his time as a, you know, a pro a pro wrestling journalist. He used to be a writer on the um, the One Wrestling website. So yeah, it seemed like a lot of people were very close to him, wrestlers and uh, pro wrestling fans alike. So uh, you know, rest in peace to Bob Ryder. Man, for like the better part of, I would say, you know the. The last 20 years, I, I think, you know, his name has really been closely associated with TNA and really being credited even as a co-founder, mm-hmm. I believe, um, mm-hmm. you know, when when uh, uh, the Jairus came up with the idea uh, through him. But I definitely remember Bob Ryder more so from his time uh, as a host of Wrestling Observer or uh, WCW Live. 
uh, towards the end of of WCW and also at the beginning, I would say, of like the whole digital media era when it comes to pro wrestling journalism, along with, of course, with the Wrestling Observer Radio and also, of course, the law, which, you know, our, our whole kind of like lineage kind of derives from. Um, so it's somebody who I definitely feel like, you know, in our industry, like we definitely owe a real gratitude to uh, as a as a pioneer. So it was a tremendous loss, not just for people uh, directly, you know, as a, a part of impact, but I would say like uh, a lot of people in, in our circles in the wrestling community as well. I mean, without wanting to, you know, say anything personally about him, I think the fact that you have anyone who, you know, effectively was present within impact for the entire run of that company's existence is remarkable given all of the various regime changes and shifts and changes in talent and direction. The fact that one person was there for all of that uh, obviously says something. And um, impact has a very like extensive and like detailed uh, story of about Bob right up on their website. So if anybody wants to check that out, they did a nice, a, a nice tribute to him uh, up on their website uh, for, for all that he contributed to the company. But like kind of on a more positive note, some big some big news coming out of the gaming world. WWE's Xavier Woods has been signed to G4. Uh, and G4 used to be a show that aired on TV, I think, from 2004 to 2014. They were a gaming show. And this past summer, they announced a, a relaunch. And Xavier Woods sort of made his campaign on social media to get back on the show and be a host. And he manifested it. And now Xavier Woods is officially a host. Uh, everybody knows Xavier Woods built the Up, Up, Down, Down YouTube channel that has 2 million subscribers. So uh, congratulations to Xavier Woods. I, I believe G4, in fact, was like almost a channel at one point. Or yeah, it was, like yeah, I think it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and yeah, I had watched, I mean, of course, this is where, where like Olivia Munn made her name. And of course, she mm-hmm. she wanted to like great, great heights. But like, you know, for, for fans who have been following uh, Austin Creed, Xavier Woods on Twitter, they know that he's been campaigning for a long time to be mm-hmm. a co-host of <laughs> Nick Arcade. And I guess when this g4 you know a relaunch came about he kind of re- repositioned his sights to to set on on this and so to see him achieve something like this i'm extremely happy for the man himself i think he will he's a perfect person for the job he will uh be tremendous at it of course he's great on screen but he really really of course knows his video games now my big question of course is like how is this going to work while he juggles a professional wrestling career? And especially in light of all this, you know, independent contractor stuff that's been going on. Um, what, what kind of like, you know, um, maybe complications does that bring? Or, or do you guys think that WWE is, you know, uh, well aware and hundred percent on board with it? I mean, whether they are, or are not aware of it, it certainly has to act as a sort of uh, a signal or some sort of precedent to, you know, the other, the, the other, not employees, excuse me, uh, but the other, you know, <laughs> contracted <laughs> workers there that, you know, um, I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, call it a double standard because obviously this is for whatever reason, not something that is uh, runs uh, or contravenes the contracts that they have there or that some sort of arrangement has been worked out. And yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It seems like a match made in heaven from what, from what little I know about, you know, the kind of current esports world there. But the fact that you have somebody doing, such what is going to be such a visible um, bit of work, especially, you know, tapping into, I imagine, all sorts of audiences that maybe have very little idea as to who Xavier Woods is outside of, you know, his presence within the gaming world, right? You know, I, I feel as though you have, you know, in, in so many rosters, but definitely on the WWE main roster, so many talents who have connections to and interests in other parts of the world 
with whom they can sort of form organic connections, right? And we all know that, you know, Up, Up, Down, Down was started off as being, you know, one of his pet projects before it kind of got so big that it kind of had to get the WWE stamp of approval uh, on it. So, yeah, I mean, it's it kind of maybe is one of those rare examples of somebody actually being able to grab the brass ring, but you have to imagine that other people are going to want similar amounts uh, of leeway and freedom with this. And Bruce, I think you brought up a good point when you talked about WWE stamp of approval, you know, since they like pr- promoted it a lot when the news first came out and they retweeted it and shared it and put their own article left. So you would think that they, you know, they knew about this beforehand, of course. But I think one of the like when Wade talked about the schedule part, um, Sasha Banks had did, uh, she did like one of those media media tours uh, earlier today. And one of the interviews she did, uh, she talked about the schedule uh, that she had for WWE and the Mandalorian. And she was filming that while, you know, while she was actively performing. And she said that it was days when, you know, she basically, most of the time it was days she had to just, you know, go go straight to WWE, hop on a flight, go to the set of the Mandalorian film. And then, you know, it was, you know, right back to the ground or whatever, or whatever else she had to do. So, like, I, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to see kind of how the schedule plays out. And I also um, kind of see the difference, like how Sasha Banks in the Mandalorian, she was referred to by her birth name, Mercedes Bernardo, and Xavier Woods is being, you know, referred to as by his own screen name instead of, uh, his, you know, his birth name. Seems like Austin Creed is the name that he goes with already on Up, Up, Down, Down. And yeah. it seems like the it's the name that G4 is is promoting him currently as. Um, yeah, certainly, like, you have to imagine, you know, the, the way, like, the lack of uh, house shows right now obviously helps with a lot of projects like these. Would a project like this, you know, for Woods be possible if they were still doing house shows? Uh you know, I I wonder what's the extent of his involvement going to be with G four. I mean, from the looks of these tra- trailers, it seems like it'll be pretty extensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, kind of kind of transitioning over to Impact Wrestling here, we have Jazz is returning to the ring. Uh, she appeared on Impact Show on Access, and she's going to be teaming with Jordan Grace in the Knockouts Tag Title Tournament. The interesting thing about this is a couple of months back, Jazz announced her retirement from pro wrestling, and now she is back. So this begs the question. Uh, will the Undertaker be back one of these days? And also, what do you guys think about uh, what, what do you guys think about Jazz uh, making a comeback? Well, I mean, the Jazz's work rate, I imagine, just has to be is is, is going to continue to be a lot better than anything Taker could crank out uh, <laughs> for for a good long while here. I would think. Um, I mean, I'm trying to remember. Wasn't I thought that she had sort of kind of semi de facto sort of soft retired even uh, earlier than this right I, I could be wrong but no, no, i think you're right i think you're right yeah i mean but i do remember people sort of saying you know i i hadn't seen much from her you know over the past few years but i remember hearing comments from people sort of saying no she can still really go there's there's you know really not a lot of uh wear and tear or ring rust on her so yeah you know uh, absolutely go for it it was sort of unfortunate that like before the NWA kind of had their, you know, most recent boom with power that jazz kind of made her exit at about the same time. So we never really got to see her uh, kind of ride that sort of wave, but I'm really glad that she's coming back in a part of this one. Um, I definitely didn't expect like, you know, during like a pandemic for uh, somebody like her to like be motivated enough to go on to come back. But, you know, again, maybe it's like a taping schedule that, that is somewhat somewhat uh, helpful for her or, or you know, did she give a reason about why she was coming back right now? So uh, I, don't, I don't think she gave a reason as to why she she's coming back now. But I know the reason she retired. She did say she was beat up like that was just her main reason. She was beat up. And, you know, all the years she has been wrestling since like 1998, I think. So she's she been in the business for a long time. And I know her and um, Thunder Rosa are opening up a wrestling school. And she's like a cold booker or like a, a backstage producer for the um the SWE Fury promotion down in Texas with Teddy Long and uh 
her husband Rodney Mack. So you know she she she's still involved in wrestling, but I'm I'm, I'm guessing that bug just never fully went away. I totally forgot this, but she was in the Casino Battle Royal last yes, year. Yes, yes. Yeah. I'd completely <laughs> lost that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. On the on the all out buy in there. Yeah. Wow. Hey, hey, Bruce, were you kind of surprised that AEW would bring somebody like her in, especially like considering how their women's division is kind of still green? I, I think it's kind of fair to say, and with somebody with the experience level of jazz, you would think, you know. Oh yeah, I do remember this. I mean, I'd, I'd spaced on it when when you first brought her name up, but now I'm remembering this. And yeah, I remember people were sort of talking about like, yeah, she looked perfectly, you know, fine in mm-hmm. that match, and that she could be one of those veteran presences that you would want uh, to sort of help, you know, kind of bring up and raise, uh, you know, some of the younger folks in that women's division there. I remember it was, you know, her and Martinez kind of coming in as sort of mm. these like, Oh, it'd be really interesting if you had them, uh, as kind of stable veteran hands in, in the locker room there. So, so yeah, good honor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, um, we just finished talking about jazz jazz is a former NWA world women's champion and the national wrestling Alliance is returning next week. Uh, I, I believe the December, First, uh, with their Shockwave show premiering on YouTube at 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the NWA has been through their trials and tribulations, of course, through the pandemic. They just lost Allison Kay, Marty Bill, Serena Deeb, and, uh, you know, the, the Thunder Rose is all over the place, man, as far as her popularity and, with, you know, as far as what she can do, you know, while being under contract with the NWA. But when you guys see the Shockwave show and after seeing kind of the the, the the attempt that Carney landed they had that didn't work and then you know of course power not being able to run uh, because of the pandemic do you think NWA is kind of hanging on to something that might not be able to work with this shockwave show because it because what from what, what was announced on YouTube by Joe Galli is it's going to be matches that we haven't seen before on YouTube so I'm assuming these are going to be matches that were taped that power or would take that United Wrestling Network uh at, at one, one of their shows and that, that we just haven't seen before so what do you guys think about this new launch for the nwa and and is this thing really going to do as well as they as as they think i mean i'm on record as a big big fan uh of power Mm -hmm. um you know i I really really enjoyed it a great deal in that particular presentation there um but yeah if we're talking about matches that you know are probably going to be featuring a large number of people who've since you know since power shut down gone on and moved on to other fields and may not be associated with the nwa anymore okay fine it's sort of you know if the content is sort of of a piece with what power was like okay i'm sure it'll be entertaining but it doesn't necessarily point a way forward uh i'm one of those people who did um i don't know why maybe i was just you know felt like doing them a mitzvah or whatever but i actually pre-ordered the first four episodes uh of the primetime wrestling shows Mm. and you know they were fine they were they were okay, but they weren't really like compelling must see TV. I think I watched the first three of them, and I don't even think I've bothered to check out the fourth one. And apart from the the Rosa the women's you know uh, t- title match title changing there, I don't know that I've really heard any buzz that would make me want to seek out and pursue any of the the other shows that have come out since then. So yeah, I mean, there's so much promise or potential in this kind of revamped, uh, reinvigorated NWA, but obviously the pandemic completely derailing them maybe even more so than than most other promotions here yeah i don't know i mean we'll find out i suppose wait what, what, what are your thoughts on it well i mean i think you know like last week we had talked about you know with the um departure of uh what is it um marty bell marty bell uh, like mm-hmm. that i i definitely got the indication that like you know nwa wasn't necessarily trying to bargain and trying to you know uh pay spend spend that much money to try to retain a lot of these people but 
At the same time, no, seeing something like this in the works, it tells me that they realize they have plenty of people still on their roster that people mm-hmm. are, are fans of, people like Nick Aldis and Tim Storm. Um, and, you know, through this new partnership with the UWN, they do have the ability to record matches and at the very least, you know, be able to show some of those extra bits of content to an audience and a fan base that they've grown for the better part of a year on their YouTube channel. Uh, you know, like that, I think people still hold out hope that NWA power can return. There are a lot of fans that I think miss it, uh, like yourself, Bruce. And, you know, knowing that you still have this audience who demands that sort of product from the NWA with this particular st- uh, roster and in this particular style, like that, that's a resource that I, you know, probably shouldn't be wasted. And in fact, one helps the other, doesn't it? You know, you have mm-hmm. a free weekly show on YouTube at the same time slot that you've conditioned people to tune into uh, and using that as a way to build to perhaps some of these primetime live cards in the future. Um, it at least seems to me, you know, to to be making the best of the situation. Yeah. And, and I, I think uh, with this shockwave show, I think it kind of gives them like a, a, a little bit of an out from the, the situation they were in last time because with power, I feel like just, just, the, just the setup that they had and the way that things were done, I feel like fans were so needed for that product. Yeah. But with this shockwave uh, uh, thing that they have coming out, I'm assuming it's going to be similar to what we've seen uh, with the United Wrestling Network's primetime live show or something something that resembles that. So maybe they can, you know, kind of distance themselves from, you know, what what, what, what would be needed if, if it was a power type of thing. And I think also just with the NWA and the pandemic, like they're, they're a self-funded, you know, organization. And I'm, I'm just, like, everything's coming through, coming from Billy Corgan, it seems like. So I think the pandemic just really cr- crushed them a lot. And I know they had, uh, they I know they were planning to do a, a WrestleMania week show prior to, you know, they had that mapped out, but of, of course that didn't happen. So, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do, man. And uh, any other stories from, from you, Andrew? Uh, no, no, it's going it's to wrap it up for me today. Well, uh, if you wouldn't mind one more time just telling us everything that you wanted to promote on the site and where people could find you. Uh, you can check out all the all, all the wrestling news uh, up on the Pro's Wrestling site. Uh, a, a bunch of news, man. And of course, I got to shout out my uh, my sworn enemy John Cena for his um <laughs> for his um his uh, MLW report. Great stuff by him right there. And um yeah, you can uh, check out the Andrew Thompson interviews YouTube channel. My newest interview with Mass Warner, and you can follow me on Twitter at ad Thompson underscore underscore. You hear that way? Double underscore. Double underscore. You got you got to remember the double underscore. <laughs> uh, great great stuff as always, Andrew. Thank you so much for for all the hard work that you put on the website. Uh, no doubt. And we'll be chatting with you Friday. No doubt. Speaking Peace. with you, Andrew. Peace, y'all. Okay, Bruce. We dive in here. This tonight's edition of Dynamite. Are you ready? Let's go for it. I'm ready. Got my notes. Got my coffee. Let's do it. Oh, coffee at night, not decaf. Uh, it's it's like half and half sort of a situation which i even that's probably a little bit risky for somebody of my my advanced age at the at this this hour of the evening but i got a bit more work to do after this so for me it's a it's a nap you know like a nap right (laughs) before like you know uh uh, doing these these, like watching these shows is is has been key so i got one in today i'm i'm good so AEW tonight uh it's a tape show so we have uh, a sweetened audience, uh, sound, sweetened sounding audience, which, you know, seems to, I would say, split much of the viewers at home. Uh, some, you know, like myself, feel like it definitely heightens the experience and is better than not having them. But others, uh, especially recently, have been commenting that it's been a little too much. What are your thoughts on it? I have noticed, oh, it was about, there was a show about three or four weeks ago where it did feel a little bit 
cranked up and, and a little bit uh, kind of in the red there. I thought this was a perfectly decent compromise if you are going to be doing uh, a little bit of audio sweetening there. Uh, the other thing is that they were pretty darn careful about keeping, you know, shots of the actual stadium uh, almost entirely out. So you really weren't getting a sense of what if however many fans were in in the building uh, at all. So I was perfectly fine with this level of it. Yeah, I got the sense that there weren't even any audience members in the crowd other than, you know, the talent. Right? They cut to a few. I mean, but that, hey, I mean, during the when Judas was played, but I mean, they have to have stock footage of people singing along to Judas at this point. Hmm. So could have just been that. I don't know. Uh, our first match is Hangman Adam Page taking on John Silver, who they're now dubbing the Meat Man, <laughs> <laughs> among other names, I bet. It, it is Page's first match back since his loss to Kenny Omega at full gear. And uh, we start off the match with John Silver continuing to be his very cocky self, you know, and as far as, you know, how uh, matched they are, they're very evenly matched early on with Silver repeatedly getting the better of Hangman Page. In fact, Page attempts his first attempt at the Buckshot Lariat, but it's countered with a Rana and I believe a Brain Buster for two. There are a number of big kicks from John Silver. Hangman pretty much absorbs it all before hitting a Liger Bomb for two. Hangman makes a second attempt at the Bugshot Lariat, this time landing it, giving Page the win in about 10 minutes. Uh, this was a good little rehab match for Page. He looked great in there with John Silver, who I thought was very physical, but of course also had a great, great deal of personality. What did you think of the match? I really liked this. Uh, I was looking forward to it because, like like you were just saying there, I think that Silver is a was a really good partner for Page to get that sort of back on your feet, you know, kind of getting well again win that he needed to have there. Uh, I'm going to sound like a broken record because I feel like I've I've mentioned this in you know feedback to Dynamite and everything like that so many times, but I think you've got something pretty pretty great in what Silver can do. Obviously, there's the current wave of BTE popularity that he's been able to ride. But those, you know, really explosive series of, of moves that he was able to pull out, you know, I think about 80, 90% into, into the match, just this really fast uh, finishing sequence with like lots of, you know, lariats and kicks and power bombs, suplexes and DDTs that he was just boom, 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 uh, moving between very, very quickly there. You know, he's, I think he's doing a good job of demonstrating that he's much more than just, oh yeah, you know, like lower card comedy guy who's, who's got the catchphrases and everything. So, so that worked for me. Also noticed, I don't know if you saw this as well, or, or if this was intentional or not, kind of looked like they, like there was a little bit of like shadow or black or purple around Paige's eyes when he came out, like he was a little bit, you know, kind of detoxing or a little bit underslept there. I'm not sure if that was on purpose or not. Interesting. That's a detail. I, I didn't personally notice, but, um, well, judging by the post-match angle, um, that could very well be possible because Evil Uno comes out. He grabs the mic to talk to Adam Page. He says he regrets a lot of the Dark Order's actions against the, him and the Elite in the past, but he says Page is somebody who has tried to leave his group many times, but they always prevent him from doing so. And if that's not a cult, he doesn't know what he, what is. So he again extends the invitation to Adam Page to join the Dark Order. This time, I would say in a much more kind of like, you know, sincere, less jokey way. And then they leave. So they are again trying to dangle the idea that Page might be leaving the elite this time, uh, perhaps to join the Dark Order. I feel like they might have done. I know they definitely did this on BTE. I can't remember if it made yeah. it onto Dynamite after Page's loss to Jericho, you know, about, about a year ago. Um, but it really felt like it. It was a lot more meaningful here, right? We've had so many more 
layers and you know kind of levels of anxiety and desperation and self-doubt added to the page character since then right there was the whole you know hangman sucks chant that that he got in on uh on bte a week or two ago you had him sort of with these kind of like doubtful self-questioning looks on his faces on his face when um when silver would kick out not the usual sort of like what i can't believe he kicked out of that but more this sort of knowing like yep i'm having a tough time of it right now and that's it's a really subtle sort of uh line that his character is walking right now so i thought this more sort of straightforward serious delivery from uno leaving the or the offer on the table and then leaving was the way to to do this and to kind of keep uh hangman's story and the question of, of where he's going to go from here going you know hangman has sort of been like like walking this line for like what feels like forever you know the idea that he really is very close to leaving the elite but he can't leave i mean as kind of uno alludes to but man it's really hard for me to think at the end of all this somehow he could entertain the idea of being a part of the dark order as successful as the dark order is i don't think they need page i don't think really page um i don't know i just it's not some it's not a fit that i'm clamoring for it's not a fit that i think either team necessarily will benefit that much from so by the end of it i don't know if i can really get behind the tease all that much um so i i mean i i do however at least look for like you know what sort of interesting story they might be able to tell but do you think the the audience can really suspend them their disbelief at this point to think that he might actually join um, I think there's there's enough of it there. I think, and again, when it's delivered, you know, with a bit more seriousness as it needed to be here, you know, I, I think it can the tease can it, itself can work. I mean, yeah, you're right. I would not want to see it um, being done for anything more than like you know, uh, you know, like a, a quick like half an episode fake out right, where he seems to be agreeing to join for one match and then turns on them or something like that. I do not think we need to have a whole you know Daniel Bryan joining the Wyatt family type. Uh, story kind of wedged in here but i do think that that's sort of like why don't you come over to this side you know thing as a looming question is a good thing to have in the background for what is probably ultimately going to be the redemption and rebirth of hangman page presumably uh kind of emerging out of this funk uh, and going on to presumably challenge kenny omega for the title sometime in the future well speaking of kenny up next we see him backstage with alex marvez uh, Kenny's wearing a suit again ahead of today's contract re-signing redo because last week, of course, Moxley was attacked and was not able to make it. Kenny says the more the the more things change, the more the things they the more I totally butchering it. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And he says this year, instead of Kenny being on the faces of magazines, being called the best in the world, it's John Moxley. But after the title eliminator tournament, Kenny is now part of that conversation again. Now he just needs the belt to prove it. He reiterates a gentleman's challenge that he set set to John Moxley, which means uh, if you want to be the best, beat me based on your ability. No weapons, no tables, no garbage cans like their last encounter. He says congratulations to Moxley on uh, his wife's pregnancy, alluding to his wife's pregnancy. And then he ends the promo by saying, you know, the story about Moxley's um, childhood talking about his father was really tugged on his heartstrings, but he says, thinking back, Kenny thinks his dad would probably beat his. So, um, definitely fighting words from Kenny uh, here. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that a lot of people don't like the more you know 
commonly expected from Kenny, sort of like more manic, intense, almost cartoon-like promo. And I do think this was an attempt from him to do something that was a bit more level and a bit more even. The register that he was sort of hitting with like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of jealous of the fact that, you know, all of the attention is on you. And I recognize that that used to be my spot and I have to fight to get back in there. Absolutely. Thumbs up. A-OK with that, even if the delivery was a bit even. But finishing, I mean, look, I I appreciate a my dad can beat up your dad dig as much as anybody else. But this was not the time or the place for it. And I, I don't even mind him mentioning his father in some sort of way. Right. Just even something a bit, a bit more subtle, like just sort of saying, like, I don't know if your dad was actually a good man at all or some, something like that. Referring back to this whole we're the good guys thing. Are you sure your dad was a good man? Something a little bit more subtle than just you know what sounds like a, a grade school schoolyard taunt i think but isn't that the kenny omega like promo style at least at this point like he is almost so overtly healed you think he's a kind of putting it on as a baby face and a line like this i i thought was just kind of more him you know like continuing to rile moxley up like the, the way he has been trying to lately yeah i mean i guess i just would have appreciated <laughs> I would have liked him going a bit more for what seemed like a more deeper personal dig at what was obviously this very sort of difficult story and difficult relationship as, as Moxley has only, you know, sparingly alluded to it before. I kind of feel like treating it with treating the father thing with the gravitas that Moxley had treated it with would be a better way of getting under his skin. But that's just my take on it. You, you did say like, you know, this kind of felt like any, uh, maybe an attempt at being a bit more of a serious uh, promo. And I mean, I certainly felt that way. I really actually liked the way he kind of like, you know, introduced his motivation here. Like Mox is Mm -hmm. really somebody who uh, is kind of like a part of that best in the world conversation this year that Kenny was a part of last year. Kenny has largely been absent for that discussion. And this year he is trying to reclaim it by winning this championship belt. It's a pretty simple story that really kind of like, you know, lays on the table. This is the best, the best in the world uh, last year. He's going up against the best in the world this year, which I think is super simple and, you know, gets me interested in the match. Yeah, definitely. That's something that I think they came back to later on with, with the angle that they did later in this episode. We catch up with Darby Allen. He, he's in his yard. Um, he paints the words, survive if I let you, on his uh, Darby Allen sedan before setting it on fire. And, uh, looking cool in black and white. <laughs> it was funny uh, before, you know, what happened later on this uh, in this episode occurred, you know, just, you know, him, him making that call back to Taz there sort of reminded me that, yeah, you know, as much as Taz has obviously gone on to have a great second half uh, of a career as a manager and as a commentator, he does still have, you know, this, this reputation as, you know, obviously an ECW original and a legit badass right i imagine you know your 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 eyes must have really perked up at this way uh after the review that you've that's just gone up uh of the old ecw show with john there definitely yeah uh it's it's quite incredible how like all these taz phrases you know 20 years later um i mean they're still immediately recognizable ft the ftw championship it's despite him like having 20 years in the wwe and impact not really kind of like referencing that hardcore aspect of ecw of the ECW character, at least like, I mean, people don't forget. So Mm -hmm. yeah, we go up next to the newly rebranded powerhouse Hobbs, the former will Hobbs. They're calling powerhouse. Now powerhouse Hobbs accompanied by Taz 
uh, take it on Lee Johnson. Taz joins co- the commentary team. He's gloating about the big surprise last week. Hobbs is dressed in an orange and black singlet, being on brand. As Hobbs beats Johnson on the floor, he makes faces at the Nightmare family members sitting ringside, uh, including the gun club here. We, we then simply get back into the ring, and a big, and of course, uh, Lee Johnson, also a member of the Nightmare family, too, mm-hmm. here. So uh, back in the ring, big power slam from Hobbs, basically gives him the win, a really quick squash. I'm, I'm going to say even less than three minutes, if that. So what did you think of this? Pretty decent uh, for you know giving us a vision of what the new and rebranded Hobbs uh, is going to be looking like. You know he had a much more methodical, less kind of explosive babyface style in this match. You know I thought that the really kind of menacing glower that he had mm-hmm. on his face looked pretty good when they had some close-ups of that. They even gave him uh, just to call back to the gear there. They even gave him like the the kind of the weird fur sort of uh, cloak or robe or whatever it was that Taz used to come out with. So, I mean, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but I mean, Taz has been giving people stick for the last year on Dynamite and Dark for gimmick infringement, right? Whenever anybody is wearing even a thread of orange on their gear. So I thought that this was a nice thing that, you know, Cage gets the FTW title, Hobbs gets the orange ring gear. I thought that was cool. I think Hobbs looks great as a heel. Like you mentioned, you know, this like, this like you know evil like scowl he has on his face like at the end of the match i think suits him really well makes him look even meaner than he probably comes across uh typically just by looking at uh, somebody of his size um so i'm i'm a big fan of this pairing and you know of course it remains to be seen how well he fits with the rest of the team because he and cage kind of you know operate very similar roles but um i think we'll have a bit more of a glimpse of that later on so Taz speaks, he tells Hobbs to go celebrate with the others while he takes care of some business himself. He says he has a problem with AEW not acknowledging the FTW title. He's not leaving until somebody from management shows up and tells him why. Taz Mike's Taz Mike gets cut off mid-sentence. He tells Justin Roberts to grab his. He starts talking. He says uh, to Keith Mitchell and Tony Khan in the back that if they shut his mic again this time, he's going to grab one of the commentary headsets. And before he can finish his threat, this mic gets cut, cut off too. Cody shows up here. Cody is wearing a headset, which you know indicates, uh, I guess, the executive uh, role. Um, because he's uh he's controlling the show kind of calling back to what we were talking about a few weeks ago where taz was sort of riding that line as to am i calling cody out as a wrestler or am i calling him out as an exec yeah they're definitely not shying away from the idea that you know it's it's well recognized that cody is not just an active performer but somebody who uh really this goes for like the bucks and i would say maybe kenny to a lesser extent but cody for sure they are kind of like you know not afraid to portray him as somebody who works in the back in control of the show as it progresses um, so Taz says he wants somebody to put respect on the FTW title. He's tired of this shit. Cody says, I'll run it up the flagpole. <laughs> and then Taz says, well, are you going to tell me some more corporate bullshit next? Creative has nothing for you. Are you going to wish me best in my future endeavors? At this point, Cody gets fired up. He says, your son Hook wants to be a pro wrestler, right? Well, then why isn't he training with you? And why is he training with me? Taz puts his mic down off mic. He says he can't believe Cody went there. He says he went too far. That was stupid. He pretends to leave. Cody turns around, but in comes Taz, locking in the Katahajime, the Taz mission, onto Cody, prompting the Nightmare family to come out from the back to make the save. And as Taz leaves, 
we actually get a look of his son, Hook, who joins him um, holding the FTW belt. Just very briefly, I mean, you could barely see him. He had, his, he had his hood up and whatever. I couldn't even really get a good look at his face. Was this a known thing before? I mean, uh, you know, I could just be completely clueless or not a, to a me. total outsider here, but this is the first time ever hearing of Taz having a kid who has any involvement with the business. Yeah, I, I, I mean, if it, if it was a known fact, it wasn't brought up ever on, on the, the show itself. So Cody bringing it up here was definitely one of those like, oh, shit, you know, like talk about like, you know, mentioning people's parents, but mm-hmm. like mentioning your kids, that's that's even worse. Yeah, I mean, Taz is so good. Like, again, he's done this so many t- uh, several times when, you know, he kind of wants to convey that intensity where he just like he has the mic in his hand, but he's not even holding it up to his mouth anymore. He's just like talking off mic in this very even tone. That was stupid. Why did you do that? You've crossed the line. That was stupid of you. You know, he has that and he always will have that that reality, that intensity, that that, that presence of somebody that you do not want to cross or mess with in a bar or anything like that. I mean, I guess the the question for me here is coming out of this is, where all these moving parts are going to be kind of going. We have a lot happening here. We have the FTW belt itself. Then we have a physical angle with Cody. Is that pointing to, you know, an actual match with Taz or is this just pointing towards, you know, his son uh, hook debuting uh, on AEW in some way? I'm not really sure. I don't at all see Taz at this point making any sort of comeback uh, in ring, at least not in a, you know, wrestling capacity. I think the occasional uh, Taz mission here and there is probably as much as we're going to see it from him at this point. I feel like this was all really done to set up a further rivalry between the Nightmare family and Team Taz. And within that mix, you can, you know, split people like in every sort of way. Like you can involve, of course, mm-hmm. like Ricky Starks is deeply involved with like, you know, Cody and Darby Allen and whatnot. But like you got Will Hobbs who can kind of be in there to face like the the rest of the members of the gun club, perhaps Dustin. And of course, this was also a way to introduce a new character in Taz's son, Hook. So we'll see, like, it's a really interesting dynamic that they've kind of set him up for because he is, of course, Taz's son, but he's also being trained by Cody. So that little element that they've just created and introduced right here offers a great potential to tell a lot of drama. You know, he is, what is he? He's like Luke Skywalker. You know, like, <laughs> do you go with Darth Vader, your father, or do you go with Obi-Wan Kenobi? Yeah, definitely. It's it's a, It's an angle or a side of the whole and we've seen it so many times of a second generation or the child of a wrestler, you know, coming into a company, obviously we've seen that many times and, you know, and, and thank God we're seeing that right now on the main roster because it gives us, you know, John's impressions of Dominic, but, um, <laughs> you know, but, but bringing up something seemingly as kind of behind the scenes as training and which schools and which, you know, trainers someone is working with and whether or not they are ready to sort of, you know, step onto the stage or not because i mean like hook wasn't presented as a worker as a wrestler right he was just a kid in a hoodie who kind of like followed along behind his dad there you know didn't really get involved in any sort of physical way so the fact that they're sort of beginning the storytelling even before anyone has seen you know his son have a match i think is kind of interesting yeah and i i was a fan of this segment i'm looking forward to this story storyline a lot i mean if it means more promos between taz and cody who i think are like two of the best in the company like sign me right up so um yeah we'll see where this one goes eddie kingston is with eddie marvez in the back kingston says he's not mad about his former best friend for reforming the death triangle with phoenix and uh pack he's just disappointed he says he expected it with phoenix 
And then as he's about to tell Pack all the things that have changed since he's left, John Moxley walks into frame to interrupt the interview. He stares Eddie Kingston down. And without Mox even saying a word, Kingston looks at him and responds, You know it wasn't me. You know who it was. You've got your own business to handle. And Mox, without saying a word, just leaves. I really liked how, like, this little kind of, like, silent, you know, uh, interaction that John Moxley had with Eddie Kingston here. He simply walks in, and I think the indication is that just by looking at Eddie Kingston in his face, into his eyes, somebody he knows, you know, uh, he he's established as having such a history with, he knows he's a man of his word, and he can tell whether or not he's telling the truth, but just by looking at, at his face. And then he just leaves and accepts accepts what he says is the truth. Yeah, this is obviously building on that chemistry, which which paid off, you know, so many wonderful dividends over the past few months between them. And I'm glad that they recognize that that's a dynamic that, you know, they can go to even when there's no, you know, possibility of a match uh, or physical contact between them in the near future. This felt like a nice, much more succinct distillation of the seemingly interminable scenes that were happening uh, back during the um, Austin, you know, hit and run uh angle years and years back do you remember austin was constantly walking up to people backstage and just sort of like you know did you hit me with a car and then you know the person would go i hate your gut steve austin but it wasn't me and he'd look at them and go yeah i can tell you're not lying to me and he did this dozens and dozens and dozens of times to people that he had no relationship with or whatever and it was just like okay apparently steve austin is the world's best judge of character or you know uh, police interrogationist or whatever it might be the fact that we're only getting it once is fine See, I'm thinking more of Elias uh, walking up to uh, Jeff Hardy playing music and uh, interrogating <laughs> him about hitting him with his car. But yes, yes, I, I totally get the reference. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, really, this, this seemed to be a way to, you know, not only kind of further the Eddie Kingston thing, but to pivot, um, uh, to, to intermingle it with the mock, mock storyline of continuing to find out who the person is that attacked him. Back into the ring now, we have Top Flight, the recently signed Top Flight, taking on the Hybrid 2, and uh, I suppose this match, like, I don't, I wonder, like, when these guys would have actually, I guess they would have signed their contract, what, a week ago, perhaps, maybe even earlier, who knows, but this match being taped a bit earlier, um, I guess I wonder if it took place before they officially signed or not, but either way, the indication, of course, uh, was that last week, after the attack, after their match, this would be eventually a match that we would be receiving either on Dark or Dynamite. We got it on Dynamite the next week. Top Flight versus the Hybrid 2. We see a replay of a... They replay a portion of um, Jack Evans from Bit Baker's dentist office where he cuts a promo. Uh, Top Flight continued to really impress me with their athleticism and high flying here. They wrestle through a commercial break. And as the action ramps up in the match, Evans attempts to German... Dante off the apron. Darius saves him with a step up in Zaguri. Darius hits a big Tope Suicida to the floor, followed immediately by a Tope Hero from Dante, ending in a big splash from Dante for a, a two count. Code Red from Dante gets another two count. And now with all their partners left on the outside, Angelico hits the Navarro death roll onto Dante, forcing him to tap out to submit in about 10 minutes. Thoughts on the match? 
Pretty good. Uh, I don't know that it w- quite had the fluidity or the cohesion of the Bucks match from the previous week, but I mean, you know, the Bucks are kind of getting into that rarefied, you know, can work a great tag match with anybody sort sort of air there. Uh, and and as much as you know, uh, Evans in particular, you know, has a reputation for you know a, a great sort of spot worker here. I don't know that there's necessarily going to be this, the same complete cohesion throughout. But again, like as a showcase for the incredible physical talents of Top Flight. You know, which even, I mean, yes, technically they lost, but I almost feel like, I mean, I hate to be one of those people that, oh, you know, a loss doesn't matter if you look good in it. But I mean, they did get so much in here and did come across as, once again, as they did last week, just such a likable uh, an immediate babyface team with with so much physical talent and a good deal of charisma as well. Uh, yeah, the, the 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 combination of the uh, first, first the Tope Suicida over top, or, or, or flipping out of the one bar, they're flipping out of the way to allow the Tope Suicida to happen. Then the Con Hero, uh, just all sorts of really, really cool physical stuff that I think we're going to continue to see. If this does indicate that, I mean, I guess at least for the time being, Top Flight are on Dynamite to stay. You know, these two have had two matches back to back on Dynamite, about 20 minutes in total ring time, and they. <laughs> killed it for every single one of those minutes just like man so incredibly um uh i would say like exciting to watch and you know as far as we know yes this might have been this was a tape show but like no real apparent screw-ups um in in my opinion at least you know yes like they are still i think very much of the spot, spot monkey variety right now so um, perhaps like in certain aspects of, the, of of their games, like we still have a lot that we have to see from them. Uh, certainly in terms of promo, I don't really know what they're like at all. In terms of character, I don't know what they're like at all. But as far as like the raw athletic ability, it's absolutely there. So, I mean, I'm a feeling, you know, it seems like AEW tends to maybe like some talents, you know, that like they immediately put them on air. Like I'm talking people like Ricky Starks. People yeah. like Eddie Kingston, they immediately put them in high profile roles. I see that less with maybe a younger and experienced team like like Top Flight. Um, so I see maybe them kind of like continuing to develop their act on Dark a little bit more before like being completely called up to uh, like quote unquote you know a dynamite main roster type of role. Um, yeah, yeah, but I, su- I suppose we shall see. I mean, it's, yeah, all all of the pieces are there. The fact that, you know, just in two matches, we've already got a sense not only of what they are as a team, but even a little bit of a sense of their own individual personalities and styles, right? The fact that, you know, Dante seems to be the more kind of like, you know, high vertical, high flyer, you know, and Darius has a few more of the power spots there. Even even something as small as that uh, is already apparent. After the match, Angelico keeps holding onto the hold, prompting the Bucks to come up for the save. So it seems to be setting into motion uh, TH2 versus the Bucks for a future match. Nyla Rose and Vicky Guerrero are in the back. Vicky is here to give us a lesson about nepotism. And she says Brandy is entirely guilty of it. She says she didn't have to convince Jade Cargill to attack Brandy last week. And I guess at this point, just reiterate some of the players involved in this, including Big Swole. Was there anything else that you might have gotten from this? I had trouble following this. Yeah, it, it seemed to be the idea that, you know, we're, we're kind of setting up some sort of like three on three or two on two sort of match. And the idea being that, you know, it's the what is it, the, the vicious vixens or whatever, which I, I mean, I guess 
was Vicky intimating that Jade is part of that group or like the, the, the Jade is part of their whole uh, entourage? I, I, I wasn't clear on that. Or was she just saying like, oh, people don't like you because you are, you know, this, this sort of uh, nepotistic person who, t- who bosses, you know, your underlings around. And, you know, that's why Cargo went after you, but I didn't have anything to do with it. Just a lot of, mm-hmm. if, if this is really just about, hey, the, you know, Cargill is teamed up with uh, with Vicky and Nyla. That could have been made simpler. Yeah, I would say that whole aspect was was kind of like poorly communicated. You know, the fact that for no reason we just saw Jade Cargill with Nyla and Vicky in a you know triple team attack on on Brandy last week without any sort of like connective tissue about how they started to form that team. Last we saw of Jade Cargill, she was a spokesperson for Shaq, and since then, no real mention of Shaq, of course. Mm. Um, so Cody's still juggling that thread while dealing with at this point Team Taz. Um, Jade Cargill seems to be off on her own thing right now against. Well, I suppose the Brandy thing is a continuation of the whole thing with Cody. So that that in itself makes sense. I suppose Vicky Guerrero here was there to explain why she was getting involved. Why? Because she hates nepotism. Is that it? Yeah, I suppose it seems like pretty thin characterization for me. But I mean, again, like we were saying last week, I think that theoretically, um, you know, this Cargill Brandy feud could be interesting. And if we have some stuff happening on the side, um, you you know, with uh, Red Velvet and uh, everybody else that, uh, that Vicky was mentioning there. Sure. Fine. What we really needed this week was to see those three, Vicky, Nyla and Jade Cargill on screen together, explaining their association and talking about the attack last week. Um, just to at least hear a bit more from Jade Cargill about her motivation and why she's paired with these two. So hopefully we get that next week. Yeah, definitely. FTR and Tully uh, are in a pre-taped video. They say that they don't really care if the critics say that their match against the Bucks was one of the best ever. It was the worst night of their life. Dax says, just because the Bucks pinned us for three seconds, it means that they were the best in the world for those three seconds, but it doesn't mean that they are the better team. He says that he needs the tag team titles. And Tully says that it's their destiny to be tag team champions. They will be the next tag team champions and tells the Bucks to fear the revelation. Pretty meat and potatoes uh, promo here. You know, kind of what you'd want from a heel tag team coming off of a loss. I I don't imagine that they'll be going back to a rematch of that anytime soon, especially with, you know, H2 kind of on the docket here. But it keeps their name in the mix. It's meat and potatoes. But, I mean, this is a team that has kind of, like, promoted itself as gourmet meat and potatoes. Like, if you're going to have meat and potatoes, you go to the place that does it best and the team that kind of promotes it. What I do kind of, like, wish to see is a bit more uh, fallout on on some of the decisions in the match itself. Like, in particular, um, what's what's, uh, the guy that's not Dax? Cash. Cash Wheeler going for that springboard 450. Uh, Oh, yeah. Like, follow up on, like... uh, his screw up there and and how you know maybe even talking about the match like you guys forced us to have to make that mistake and it's a Mm. mistake we'll never make again some reference to the body of the match i think would have been a bit nice to hear uh but nonetheless it just seems like it doesn't know i don't know if it really indicates like the bucks immediately to rematch ftr or if it was just simply them you know restating their claim for the titles but i guess keeps them in the conversation yeah we got scu versus jericho and jake hager coming up next the entire circle, including Wardlow and MJF, are out there. It's the first in-ring meeting between Christopher, uh, Chris Daniels and Chris Jericho, who have a combined 57 career span between the <laughs> two. 
It's a really fast-paced match between these veterans. Uh, action spills to the floor as the inner circle beats on Daniels as we go to break. We come back. Jake Hager starts continues to work over Chris Daniels. Daniels hits a flatliner to Chris Jericho, gets a hot tag to Kaz, and then Kaz pretty much single-handedly takes the inner circle out uh, ringside. As Kaz re-enters the ring, um, Daniels... <laughs> He basically, uh, uh, here, sorry, I'm a little bit lost. Ta- Daniels tags back in, hits this beautiful Topi Suicida through the corner to Jake Hager, mm. uh, hit, hits a big high cross onto Jericho for two. Something I've, I've noticed in the production is, I don't know if you, you noticed this too, uh, 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 Bruce, it's, they started to add little color markers in the bottom of the screen to indicate trunk color. I didn't notice this until the women's match, actually. That was the first, you know, in, in a couple more matches of here. That was the, but that was the first time I saw it. So yeah, I think it's just new this episode, correct? I, I mean, if it appeared last week, I, I didn't notice it. Yeah, but um, yeah. it's, you know, of course, like boxing does this, UFC does this, yep. just to tell you, like, you know, if you're a first time viewer, who's wearing what color trunks. I think it's great. I mean, as far as like, you know, people complaining about the sports like presentation, I mean, this is definitely, you know, something more along those lines. Yep. Encourages uh, new viewers to be engaged and it encourages your tag teams to dress in uniform colors. Which I always <laughs> yes. enjoy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So uh, at this point, Hager hits a diving flatliner. Uh, sorry, sorry. Daniels hits a diving flatliner to Hager. It's really hard to keep up with these matches, everybody. There's a lot going on in them. Uh, Daniels then hits a BME for a two count. And with the referee distracted, MJF on the outside decks Daniels with the diamond ring. Judas effect from Jericho. And Hager pins Daniels for the win. Pretty great stuff here, especially when you think, uh, when you look at, particularly, I think, you know, the age of somebody like Daniels, you know, uh, who is, who's turning 50 or has turned 50 this year. And, you know, Jazz uh, and Jericho as well, right? Like, it's kind of rare that you'd sort of look at this match and kind of go, okay, you know, people of Jericho, Kaz, and Daniels' age and kind of go, yeah, Hager's going to be the kind of, Hager's going to have to work to keep up with these guys. (laughs) But it's true. But he did, right? He was very clearly the odd man out here uh, in in terms of just bouncing. Jake Hager is 38. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. All right. right. He's, yeah, he's, he's hardly a whippersnapper anymore, I suppose. Um, But yeah, just incredible stuff, uh, specifically from the SCU uh, side of the, uh, of the ring. I thought, you know, it's weird to sort of, I don't know if it's weird, but if you, if you pay attention to the win loss record and kind of look at how they're used on dark, you know, Daniels in Daniels, especially has taken a lot of pins uh, and there's been a real sort of, kind of sliding him down the ladder towards being kind of, you know, the veteran gatekeeper that the hot new young guy has to get past, uh, you know, to, to earn some respect. It's a pretty far slide for him, you know, given that just a year ago or a little over a year ago, we were talking about him being the inaugural, one of the inaugural tag champions uh, for AEW's, you know, tag team belts here. Was he and technically I, a champion though, or, or, or was that um, Sky and, and Kaz? Wait, wait did, oh wait, hang on. Was he not in the actual one where they won the belts? I don't think so. I think I think oh, they always recognize Kaz and like I don't think they had Freebird rule. I think it was always Kaz and Sky, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. I can't I, I'm just I, I don't quite remember when the whole like Daniel's injury angle, if they, if that had happened before or after they won the, the belts for the first time. But 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 regardless, I think that a match like this really shows you just how much there is left in the tank, both physically and in terms of in-ring storytelling for somebody like Daniels. I mean, I wasn't watching ROH at the time, but I remember a few years ago everybody talking about just how incredible and legit, you know, his last title run in ROH. Uh, seemed and you know obviously the the very very grizzled veteran uh 
is, is a story that sort of writes itself. So I would really like to see uh, some, you know, a sort of a singles run for Daniels kind of being pushed to his last attempt to, you know, get the TNT title or possibly even the world title somewhere down the line. I really would too. Um, you know, but at this point, like given, I think like Daniel, Daniel's, um, you know, involvement in, in doing so much in, in a, in a backstage role, yeah, like yeah. It, it almost feels like he's just kind of like in that Dustin road roads role, maybe even less so than Dustin mm. will only wrestle if it's like kind of a, a being a part of a three-way with SCU or maybe the occasional tag and not somebody like who, you know, uh, at least like demands or maybe might be even considered for any sort of like prime single storyline. Of course, the idea of like doing that retirement thing is always there. I think it's a great story that they've done in the past with Daniels that he'll do a great job of again. Uh, they might have to wait for it. But um, man, this match absolutely proves that there's still so much left in the tank. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's incredible. I had trouble keeping up with this match because yeah. <laughs> like this was such a fast match. Like, and we're talking about like a median age of probably like 45 or 46 between these, <laughs> these guys. It's, it was honestly like, I was, I thought it was amazing. Like seeing Daniels move, seeing Jericho move. And, um, it, I thought it was a tag match that, you know, lived up to every bit of a standard of an AEW tag team pace that and they that, set. And then that cool little you know bit of trivia about it being the first time that Jericho and Daniels have actually crossed paths is pretty cool, right? I mean, for years, Everybody was always saying, you know, Daniels is the greatest wrestler of that generation to have never worked with or at least signed a contract with either WCW or the WWE, right? But he was Mm -hmm. wrestling everywhere else. And so when you think about where Jericho's career has taken him, I guess it does make sense. But it's still incredible to me that that two people with the resumes that they have have never stepped in at the same time. Afterwards, Kaz, seeing the uh, injustice here, clocks MJF. Uh, which actually draws blood from MJ, MJF's mouth. Sky also comes out with a chair for the save. So this feud between SCU and the Inner Circle seems to be continuing. I oh, sorry to interrupt. Um, I I w- obviously we were expecting the Sky run in there, and uh, it sounds like based on Dark, we're still having Sky and Spears. Um, you know that that that's still a program that's happening. But again, if we're talking about people that we kind of like to see do a bit of a singles run, uh, I, I would really like to see that for Scorpio as well. Um, I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't have necessarily felt super comfortable uh, bringing it up uh, myself a week or two ago. But I kind of wanted to echo uh, Nate's thoughts. I believe it was on Monday talking about the. Um, on one hand, you know, obviously how cool it is to see a lot of, uh, you know, younger black tag teams coming into uh, the AEW mix, but that there is still sort of this question of, okay, well, who is going to be the first single star to get a real push? Oh, man, Sky, I think, has been long overdue. Yeah. Like, yeah. I really don't know what there is left to, for him to accomplish on Dark. Um, I don't think, like, it's any sort of hook or draw to get people to watch Dark and, like, to have a Scorpio Sky versus Sean Spears big feud there. Uh, I think he's way more valuable in the upper mix of a, of an AEW dynamite. So, yep. uh, man, I, I, I'm a little disappointed that they haven't really pulled the trigger on him yet after like, you know, several like very good, notable main events, um, like matches against, you know, Chris Jericho. Uh, I think he had a match against Cody for the TNT mm-hmm, title, mm-hmm. but like, I, I, I definitely feel like, it's it's long overdue that he gets involved in a proper storyline with a proper singles push. Sabian, Miro, and Ford are in their trailer as uh, Kip Sabian's about to show off their his new Xbox. This is like the Xbox uh, 
what do they call this one? Xbox X? <laughs> what do they I, call it? <laughs> I don't know. I'm a PlayStation guy. One, two, three, four, five. I can count those yeah. things I know. I don't know what's happening with the In Xbox. the Microsoft world, <laughs> it's uh, nothing, and then one, one and then 360. 360. Wait, it's 360 and then one, I think. <laughs> What, what is it? I need to know. Is it Xbox <laughs> Black? Like, what the hell? What is it? Like, Xbox I mean, it makes about as much sense as the Windows operating system, you know, naming back in the 2000s did. Okay, what is it? It's the, it's the Xbox Series X. Is that it? <laughs> don't stop, don't shout. Stop shouting at your uh, uh, phones, everybody. I don't really care. It's fine. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so he's playing with his new Xbox. They're about to show off. And then Orange Cassidy simply walks in and he just turns the system off. This draws... <laughs> sounds so stupid. This draws Sabian and Miro into a brawl with the best friends outside of the trailer. Best friends powerbomb Sabian into a porta potty uh, Not into a porta potty onto a porta potty on the outside. It wasn't that messy. This is not uh, the WWE. Miro has a really funny moment where he just grabs the camera and he starts yelling... <laughs> Move out of the way. And this seemed to be their way of promoting the Dynamite Diamond Battle Royal for next week, which, uh, according to the graphics, seems to indicate that it might be as well for a ring. I don't know if this is for MJF's ring or if it's going to be for a new one, but MJF is going to be in this one, too. It is. I looked it up. It is a year since that uh, that battle royal that MJF won there. Um, as far as this segment itself, okay, look, I want to recant something I said a few minutes ago. A few minutes ago, I gave Kenny Omega some grief for the my dad can beat up your dad thing. I have to sort of say that trolling somebody or getting under somebody's skin by turning a you know console off while they're playing it is even more elementary school level BS that I just don't see having any place in what is theoretically a, you know, a a big time major league wrestling promotion. I really don't need any more of this. And I, or at least I really don't need any more of it to have anything to do with video games at this point. Yeah. Like the action of like orange Cassidy simply walking in and hitting the power button to annoy somebody like that's very much orange Cassidy that, that absolutely, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the idea of like these adults getting yeah. so angry about their video game um for any reason that like i just think is certainly not becoming of like a serious pro wrestling tag team certainly below so, like somebody the potential of miro yeah yeah so it's just wasting away in this it's right. just it's just treading water you know at this point yeah contract signing number two uh the redo with uh mox and kenny omega Kenny, his grand entrance, uh, you know, this time talking a whole lot about his Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame induction. Uh, He's about to enter. The cleaner girls are out there. Uh, You see Kenny in the silhouette at the ramp. But as you see him, in walks John Moxley's silhouette, who starts attacking Kenny from behind. They brawl out into the ring. Mox continues to beat on Kenny Omega, hitting the paradigm shift onto Omega, right onto the championship belt. Moxley grabs the mic. He says, gentlemen's agreement. Right. Mox says, I don't know who you hired last week, Kenny, but they did a piss poor job. I'm still walking. He says, I thought our beef was squashed a year ago, but then you had to go and piss me off. He says, the only way you can prove who you say you are is for you to do something that no one has been able to do in eight months beat John Moxley 
He says, win, lose, or draw, winner is coming for you, Kenny. As Mox signs the contract, what do you think of the, of the promo in the segment? Overall, pretty good. I think, like I was saying earlier, it underlines the idea that this is now a feud about uh, Omega needing to defeat Moxley in order to get out from this perception, whether it's him talking or whether it's people online or whatever it is, whether it's accurate or not, this perception that he isn't uh, what he once was, that he hasn't lived up to his potential in AEW, right? That he's not the same guy that he was in NJPW. Whether that's accurate or not, that's become what Kenny needs to prove to himself. And I like the fact that Moxley sort of put that in his court, right? The onus is on you to do this. The onus is on you to make me shut up. The onus is on you to prove that you are who everybody says you are. I like that as a, as a hook for this particular, uh, for this particular feud here. Um, I I mean, it's a minor, minor point here, um, but how weird must it be? This is just a little tangent here. How weird must it be to be Jim Cornette and be watching the whole, you know, Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame intro and know that it's entirely created just to troll you? Like, this is, this, you know, entirely being set up so that, you know, him hate watching it is going to get under his skin uh, with, with what, him being what so What were pissed. the lines? Like, oh, it particular. was all just, you know, he is a Wrestling Observer Hall of Famer, which means that a group of his peers, including current wrestlers and former wrestlers and uh, rest, uh, authorities within the field of professional wrestling, have declared him to be a Hall of Famer. It seemed to me at least to be a very clear, like, just trying to rub salt in Cornette's wounds after he got in a snit about Omega going in uh the, the Observer Hall of Fame there. I don't pay a whole lot of attention to to him these days, unfortunately. Um, he's just oh yeah, no, it's off it's, on his it, own thing. It, it's it's not even worth it. Another minor point here: How do you feel about this winter is coming pitch for for next week's show? It, you know, it's not. Um, I would say like the uh, I don't know immediately recognizable name um, uh, of let's say you know like beach bash at the beach or. or um, <laughs> war games or something like that uh winter is coming might doesn't necessarily roll off the tongue as well but i mean i don't dislike it um i i I will say like in a week in a week two weeks i don't know if it feels as grand as i think i would have expected it to feel given that this was kenny versus mox yeah it's just a it's a bit of a weird thing to be suggesting given that you know the way that game of thrones ended i don't know if that's something that you'd be wanting to to connote with this particular i'm not figure. a game of thrones fan oh yeah no no strange. okay yeah game, the winter is coming was like the dire threat that they kept saying for you know season after season after season and moxley even like conflated that with you know different hbo prestige stuff when he said come at the king you best not mix and it's like we've got game of thrones we've got the wire happening here it's all it's all very <laughs> it's all very busy does it actually snow in jacksonville Good question. Probably, Probably right? <laughs> I can't. I can't think so. Kenny has mentioned um, that it's incredibly cold there right now, like wrestling. So, or at and least that's... it's like it went from being really hot to like all of a sudden being chilly and cold. So, I don't know if that's um, exactly winter. At least not a Canadian version of winter. But um... well, I'll, I'll trust somebody from Winnipeg, right? Like they know sure. they know winter, so I'll I'll, I'll I'll take his word for it. That's very true. Yeah. Uh, so you know the other thing that I, I, we haven't really mentioned yet. Do you think that this was meant to be a clear indication that it was Kenny Omega who set up the attack? No, I, I think that that was sort of Mox jumping the gun there. I think we might get, I mean, Mox's accusation that, oh, you you just, you hired someone to do it because, you know, presumably this happened while um, while Kenny was out in the ring. Um, 
okay, fine. That, that's, you know, that's a sort of a workable premise for Moxley to be on there. But if that is it, I do think that's jumping over a hell of a lot of story that that should be doubled back on so i think you could definitely do something where if we do see um omega defeating moxley for the title next week then we find out afterwards no this was somebody else entirely uh who has a bone to pick with moxley possibly you know a returning brody you know brody or or whoever else it might be it could be an entire other uh story that is going to be uh sending Moxley off or hell. I mean, God, if, you know, if we want to really go down the conspiracy hole here, this might be the sort of thing that allows him, uh, you know, to take time off and go to Japan. If he is going to do wrestle kingdom, who knows? You mean if he loses, if he loses? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I've, I've sort of been th- assuming that if he does lose, we might, you know, there, then there's the possibility opens up of him being able to go to Japan, do quarantine and, and uh, do the U S title match at wrestle kingdom. I don't know. I'm curious to see like how Kenny is handled following this. Cause um, uh, I agree with you that I think this was Moxley jumping the gun. And ultimately it will be revealed that it wasn't Kenny. Um, and if that's the case, uh, you know, this kind of positions Kenny as being framed or at least, you know, mm-hmm. improperly pun- unjustly punished for a crime he did not commit, which indicates to me that he is continuing to stay as a baby face that you're supp- supposed to feel sympathetic for. Um, and coming off of this mm-hmm. win, you know, are we going to see a Kenny Omega baby face run or is it going to be, you know, more of this kind of overtly cocky heel run um that is a full-on heel or just maybe somebody who's overconfident i think yeah i mean i think he could maintain i mean him him continuing to protest his innocence and then kind of rubbing it in everybody's face after the fact if he is innocent that could go in well enough with this current iteration of the character which could really lean either way depending on who you want to pair him up with next as the next world uh challenger right depending on whether he's going to be going up against a heel or a face uh coming after next week the inner circle is in the back with Alex Marvez. MJF is pissed. He says, what kind of man sucker punches another man in the face? After, of course, he uh, did the same to Chris Daniels in the match earlier. Jericho says, after a fair and square victory, Kaz dares to put his hands on MJF. Jericho says the fun and games are with the inner circle are over. Next week for the first time, Kaz versus Jericho. I mean, this is a match that if you told me about it two days ago, I would have said, oh, yeah, sure, fine. But hell, after watching that tag match, sure, sign me up for an extra little dose of this. I mean, I think the other thing that was obviously that we didn't really talk about in the tag match, but that was being pointed to in this segment as well, is this image of a unified inner circle, right? They've gone to mm-hmm. Vegas. They've gotten their yayas out. Jericho said, we're done with kind of partying. We're going back to just kicking everybody on the roster's ass and seeing the, the, the visual of seeing this many guys all united, all together, theoretically unstoppable, uh, and that you know somebody like Kaz or whoever they end up sort of focusing their attention on is going to get absolutely annihilated by them. This is like the fun chapter of the group. Like if you yep. remember, like the Kevin Owens, Chris Jericho thing. Like this was like when they were being best friends and just like <laughs> doing goofy shit. The potential for this portion, I think, is is going to be a lot of fun. Before, of course, the inevitable turn. Up next for the AEW Women's Championship, we have Anna Jade. Taken on champion Hikaru Shida, and we first get a video package building up the match. Anna Jay says that she's a totally different wrestler now than the first time that these two wrestled. Shida says her knee, like Shida basically is asked about her knee following the Ni- Nia Rose match, or Nyla Rose, <laughs> man, I'm getting the, the two mixed up. <laughs> Nyla Rose match, and uh, Shida basically, you know, pretends like, but she she says it's fine, but you know it's really not. 
Tay Conti, the tag team partner of Anna Jay, uh, talks about her friendship with, with Anna, and uh, she says that they make each other better. Sheeta says what Jade needs is not, isn't the AEW championship. It's more heart. And she says, bring it. I was really happy to see, mm. you know, finally some sort of um, storytelling here with Hikaru Shida and some of the other members of the AEW women's division who don't really get that much screen time. It was good to hear Shida like continue to emote more and more in her promos. I thought she did really well here. To me, she's clearly capable of a whole lot more than they're giving her. Mm. Uh, it was also good for me to see, like, you know, take Conti like be able to kind of speak up about her relationship with Anna Jay and their tag team as well. So I would have loved to have seen this perhaps a week ago, just to give us a bit more time to anticipate this match rather than seeing it right before the match itself. But I I, I do hope it's an indicator that AEW is like finally perhaps putting some attention to their fans criticism about the lack of storytelling in, in the division. Yeah, this is exactly the sort of thing that I think you and I have been just kind of like beating the drum about for the past few weeks here. The fact that the matches, Sheeta's matches and defenses are perfectly serviceable to good, but that there doesn't seem to be any sort of driver story behind them. Yeah, it would have been nice if this had cropped up a week earlier or if this had been peppered through uh, the episode, right? With, you know, obviously hearing from Jay and Conti, but maybe also like being reminded of the, the, the various other challengers that Sheeta has defeated and why Jay thinks she is different from them or better than them you know we could kind of nitpick it but the actual the overall approach and the overall attempt here uh was definitely a move in the right direction in the match itself the rest of the uh dark order are ringside we get a tilt a whirl early on from hikaru shida that is follow uh that that uh injures shida's existing knee injury um shida further injures it by attempting a knee lift on the outside which allows Jay to gain control. Anna Jay shouts at Tay Conti to give her a chair to use. Rick Knox quickly takes the chair away, but this was all a way for Jay to grab a kendo stick from a member of the Dark Order to use it on Sheeta's knee, giving her a two count. Jay locks in her Queen Slayer rear naked choke. Sheeta escapes, hits a brain buster, then a straight jacket German, continuing to favor that injured knee. Finally, Sheeta hits the Tamashi using the internet again, giving Sheeta the victory in about seven minutes time. I thought this was pretty good. It wasn't maybe entirely up to the snuff kind of bell to bell as some of the other Sheeta defenses, but we did get to see a little bit of extra fire from her. I thought that, you know, the, the story with the knee, uh, you know, obviously gave her something to work with. And obviously the story with, uh, with Conti on the outside and, and the chair and everything like that, uh, you know, giving Jay something to work with uh, full disclosure here, by the way, uh, for whatever reason, the TSN feed that I was watching did not have the picture in picture. So I missed out on a good portion of this match mm-hmm. but you know at least i got to you know hear the sleep country canada theme which is always a, a patriotic plus so anyway why buy a mattress anywhere else Ding. yeah i thought this was a far more competitive and confident nj this time around i yep. mean like turning heel tends to like bring that out of you know especially your, your younger talents um this to me like i thought was a match that otherwise could have been just a throwaway match between a champion and somebody who's still really like you know at the bottom of the of the ladder in 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 terms of her career or experience or at least like you know uh status on the roster but i thought it ended up being a pretty hard fought victory for shida mm-hmm. allowing her to tell that knee injury story and for anna jay i thought it was a major step up in her being taken seriously as a competitor in the in the division she's still very far from championship level 
but I think she's like made some really good strides since her last match with Sheeta. So like it's it's one of those matches that I think she pro- she'll probably learn a great deal from and, and improve greatly out of. Mm-hmm. And they've done enough. They've laid, they've done enough groundwork with her and Conti's relationship and friendship over the past couple of months that this presumably this program that they're going to move into between the two of them you know feels organic and natural. It feels like it's mm-hmm. coming from somewhere. After the match. As Sheeta makes her way up the ramp, Abaddon crawls out, blood just dripping out of her mouth. She grabs Sheeta's belt and just starts licking it with her blood-soaked mouth, getting nasty blood-filled droplets all over this thing. And they cut to Sheeta, who gives just this absolutely great look of horror <laughs> as she's watching this, like, you know, like horror movie come to life. So uh, this, of course... You know, uh, Abaddon was was scheduled to to uh, be a part of something or earlier before she was injured, and uh, she seems to be okay, and she's restarting that push right now. So it's a character I'm absolutely looking forward to seeing more of. Yeah, it's uh, you know I haven't been completely blown away by Abaddon's in ring uh, on Dark, but you know it's a f- it's a fun enough and cheesy enough. Uh, sort of character that you know you can spend some time with uh you know and the fact that i guess we're kind of going into this whole sheeta taking her seriously and being legitimately creeped out or intimidated by this you know living dead girl zombie sort of character here and again if we've been talking about trying to give sheeta something to work with character wise in her Mm -hmm. feuds and her matches this is at least something to start with absolutely yeah um i think i think it'll be tricky like being a baby face and selling for like this kind of horror movie thing. Like you have to, you know, traditionally, okay, we've seen the undertaker um, go up against any number of people, whether it be Kamala or Yokozuna mm-hmm. or like people that have to pretend that they're afraid of like this demon. And that often works when, you know, it's the baby face that is the demon and it's the heel, mm-hmm. you know, especially a giant heel who is not really afraid of anything, but afraid of this, you know, ghost. It's 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 a little bit trickier when you're the babyface in the in the feud having to sell fear for, um, you know this this yep. kind of mythical like you know horror horror movie thing. Uh, there's going to have to be a way where they have to show the heroism in Sheeta overcoming like those fears mm-hmm. that you you're going to want to make the you're going to want to cheer her for. Yeah, it, it's a difficult needle to thread. I think we saw kind of the the downside of that in the. Uh, Brian Kane program that Brian went into immediately after WrestleMania 31, if I'm remembering correctly with, you know, uh, you know, Kane threatening his wife and everything. And a lot of, you know, kind of, you have a you good know, memory, man. I, th- that was, that stuff at all. I only remember that because I was actually at WrestleMania uh, or no, no, excuse me. WrestleMania 30. No, excuse me. Sorry. My mistake. This is after, yes, this is after WrestleMania 30. Cause it's, it's 30 where Brian wins, right? Uh, yes. It's, yeah. Yep. So what? What like wasn't like Team Hell No before all that? Before well, Hell No was well before that, but this is before yeah. the second, before the Hell No reunion from a couple ah, of years previous. Gotcha. So if I'm remembering correctly, yeah, yeah. So it's WrestleMania 30 where Brian gets you know defeats uh, Hunter and then Randy, um, and then gets the uh, goes immediately into the Kane program and then is injured shortly thereafter. There was a bunch of stuff with like forklifts and everything. It, yeah, it wasn't good. But but anyway, my point in all of that was that yeah, you had somebody who was this conquering baby face immediately now having to be this kind of you know cowering um slasher movie victim figure constantly running away from uh you know the big bad monster and 
we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how Shida handles it. I guess. I'm I'm looking forward to the feud. I think there's good potential there. I just want to see like Karshida chase Abaddon around with a sword. Like, <laughs> give, me, give me a scene like that. Mad Hardy's in the back. He he is playing this brand new like cocky, overconfident character, like taking credit for everything. Like he's been playing it on BTE, playing it on Twitter. Uh, had a great tweet the other day, taking um great credit for like creating the cinematic match with Matt capitalized um, in cinematic. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. He says he's overcome insurmountable odds in 2020. And if he can do it, uh, he said something insulting about the audience, which I, I think didn't it was, really you like. can obviously overcome your pedestrian challenges. Yes. That was the note I had here. Yeah. You know, I have to say this has been a really sudden, like kind of unexplained heel turn for Matt coming off of the Sammy Guevara match. Uh, but I find it very entertaining. I mean, I, I'm okay with it. I mean, he's calling himself, what is it? Is it the iconic Matt Hardy now? I guess, you know, we've sort of, you know, you and John have talked about kind of how aimless Matt has sort of felt on AEW, just kind of cycling through broken, not broken, whichever Matt Hardy, oh, I'm here, you know, being a mentor to private party or, or whoever it might be. Um, if this is sort of a hard reset after what I thought was a pretty disappointing cinematic match, sure, fine. You know, it cleans the palate and and gives him uh, something new to start with, and we'll see where he goes with it, I guess. So next week, winter is coming. We've got the Dynamite Diamond Battle Royal. We've got Chris Jericho versus Frankie Kazarian. Uh, they also announced here Britt Baker versus a returning Layla Hirsch. We've got uh, Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs taking on Darby Allen and Cody Rhodes. And, of course, in our main event for the AEW World Championship, John Moxley versus Kenny Omega. Team Taz comes out. Uh, sorry, Team Taz is in the back. Uh, Ricky Starks, at this point, speaks for Taz, who has left the building in a fit of rage. Starks says he has no beef with Tony Khan. He, in fact, says Tony Khan puts them in main events, pays the group well, but he has beef with Cody. He says Cody crossed the line tonight. Stark says Cody begged Tony Khan to cut Taz's mic. He's made their feud personal by bringing up Taz's kid, and next week they're going to get their revenge. How did you think that uh, Ricky Stark sounded here with, uh, you know, being flanked by... You know, uh, the two powerhouses behind it. The, the visual of it is great. Let's just acknowledge that, right? Mm-hmm. That this is, I mean, even without Taz in the mix, this is a fantastic looking group that we have right here. And yeah, obviously, at this point, I think everybody should be expecting Starks to be completely, you know, buttery smooth uh, on the mic. I think Taz was calling him hot peanut butter um, in terms of how smooth wow. he was uh, on Dark I, I mean, occasionally, you know, you, you, you know, you put some peanut butter on toast and it sort of heats up oh. a bit. It's, you know, it's, it's hot it's not peanut so, butter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very smooth and oily, I guess, but yeah, very slick. Um, yeah. You know, we didn't get, we didn't hear anything from Hobbs. I mean, you'll notice that Taz sort of kind of shooed him out of the ring immediately after his, uh, his squash win there. So we still haven't really heard this new incarnation of Hobbs on the mic yet, but yeah, I mean, you know, you know, the best heels are always the ones who have at least some ground to stand on in terms of the arguments that they're making. And whether we, quote, believe him or not, uh, you know, uh, Stark sounds credible here, putting forward his case, you know, of, of you know, kind of envy uh, and, and anger towards Cody here, right? I think they've done a really nice job of when they bring Cody into these feuds and specifically this ongoing feud with Team Taz, the fact that, you know, they can sort of the team Taz can play the aggrieved party 
you know, in opposition to somebody who has the proverbial pen, right, has control over things, is, you know, kind of, you know, orchestrating the whole show here. And you'll notice that, you know, uh, uh, Starks was di- uh, differentiating Cody from Tony, mm-hmm. right? Tony treats us with respect and has done this and this and that, but you've obviously got an axe to grind with us and we're coming for you. Um, we, we, we were talking last week about obvious, the chemistry that Cody has with Darby. I'm really, really excited for this match. I think it'll be a good one. Yeah, me too. I, I love seeing Ricky starts in this role. This was an indicator of like what the team would perhaps sound like in the future if Taz, you know, for whatever reason was no longer a part of the group. It allowed Brian Cage to speak up a little bit more. Um, Unless I think continues to be more with Brian Cage, you know, he doesn't need to be saying a whole lot, just needs to chime in here and there with some words and just look menacing. Uh, But Starks looks great with like these two giants next to him. (laughs) Man, that was awesome. So our main event, of course, is Butcher and the Blade taking on Pac and Phoenix stemming uh, from last week's reunion of the Death Triangle. Eddie Kingston is back on commentary. We get double dives from Death Triangle early on. Uh, Phoenix Attempts an Oz cutter. Butcher just stone stonewalls him and Phoenix just bounces off. But Pac follows right up with a super kick to lay the butcher out. Commercial break. We come back with Pac going for a shooting star press. Blade moves out of the way, but Pac lands on his feet and then steps into a great looking snap but steps steps into a great looking snap power slam from the blade. Doctor Bomb from the blade for two. As Phoenix stands up top. Eddie Kingston steps away from commentary while the bunny distracts, sweeping Phoenix off the top rope, allowing Butcher and the Blade to apply their combo neckbreaker slash powerbomb to Phoenix for the victory. Pretty good, I think. Um, You know, we were talking before about the previous tag, you know, kind of Hager being the odd man out in this very fast moving tag match here. It was, you know, butcher kind of being the, Oh geez, I just have to, you know, stand still and not get in the way too much uh, sort of base there. Obviously, you know, great flying work uh, from Phoenix and from Pac here. Um, This, I don't know. I'm not sure if they explained this on commentary or not. Maybe you caught it way. Did they explain why Penta didn't get involved uh, or or take out Kingston after Kingston's interference there. Yeah, you're right. He just kind of disappeared because he was yeah. ringside. Um, and got a Chiron you know, and everything. Yeah, like I was. I honestly like I was very focused on like taking notes for these things. So a lot of like I didn't even notice that Penta was not around. But did he get attacked? He probably got laid out by Butcher and the Blade, right? Probably. If so, I didn't catch it, though. I don't know. A lot of, again, a lot of moving parts. But theoretically, if you've got, you know, just Pac and, uh, and and Phoenix out there with Penta as an equalizer, theoretically, that's, you know, that's taking care of, of Kingston. Unless there was something to do with Bunny that I missed. I don't know. There must have been. Maybe it was even something during the picture in picture that we would have missed, too, because we didn't get to see it in Canada, unfortunately. But um, as far as the match goes, I... I I really enjoyed it. I thought Butcher and the Blade in particular, like they've really increased their presence so much in AEW this year. Uh, every week, I'm very impressed by the team to the point where like it almost feels normal to see them be a constant in these main events where you'll know they're always deliver quality. So they continue to be really good. And to me, though, the standout was, of course, seeing Phoenix and Pac together. It's refreshing, number one, to see Phoenix like just wrestle as a straight-up babyface now, taking full yeah. advantage, of, advantage of his incredible tools but the pairing of him and pack like they work so fast together like on their own individually they're two great 
technical singles wrestlers who like wrestle at incredible speed, but as a tag team, like it almost feels like that speed doubles because mm. nobody has to take a break. So as a team alone, they're I think they're actually like fantastic together. So like that trios match that we're gonna get someday between the Death Triangle and the team of Butcher, Blade, and Kingston, that to me is something I already have way more anticipation for. It's something I think you could say for a pay per view or yeah, at least yeah. you know headline a dynamite with. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, there was those. Um, I believe it was like kind of like stereo moon salts from the top rope to the outside mm-hmm. that both of them did at one point that just looked gorgeous. And yeah, I mean, it it reminds you of just you know obviously again the, the natural babyface power that that Phoenix has, but just you know as as much as we're sort of saying yeah. Pac kind of looks and still can sort of do some heelish character work there. You know, his experience all over the world in Dragon Gate and whatnot uh, just has him primed to be able to to keep up this absolutely frantic pace throughout this. After the match, Eddie Kingston attacks with a steel chair, laying out the death triangle. And uh, as Bruce mentioned, we we didn't really notice where Penta was, but he probably there was probably a decent explanation for it. But then Lance Archer comes out. And he starts to attack Eddie Kingston and his team. Uh, the rest of Eddie Kingston's group comes be- comes in. Uh, Phoenix and Pac at this point come back in. Everybody brawls with each other. Archer continues to threaten Eddie Kingston. As the announcers bring up how it's been personal for these two since the anniversary show and the all-out battle royal. So, I, you know, I... I don't and sense. I don't sense that this was indicating any sort of like babyface turn for Lance Archer. Maybe more just a, you know, a way for these two heels to feud with each other. But you know, we talk about how like in the Cody stories, there there are a lot of moving parts, a lot of feuds that are kind of concurrently running at the same time. Mm. I felt the same way here, where I was just starting to build my anticipation for Pack and Phoenix against Eddie Kingston, but then all of a sudden. Lance Archer kind of comes in, especially as a heel facing yeah. another heel to really kind of confuse the dynamic. So I kind of go, I felt that the show kind of went off air with like, you know, a bit more of an awkward end rather than like something that was maybe just, you know, just communicated yeah. perhaps that much more clearly. Yeah, no, I agree. It was sort of the same feeling that I left with it. I mean, I was even wondering if just having Archer deliver a couple of kicks to either Phoenix or Penta or Pack just to communicate, no, I'm not out here to team with these guys. I'm just out here to get some licks in uh, at Kingston. Obviously, you know, the commentary was doing their level best to go, all right, these guys have crossed swords before in the past. But to be honest, you know, as, as somebody you know, I, I watched the product. I was like, Oh, right. Yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I guess I sort of remember that, but it just seemed like an odd, uh, an odd thread to pick up here in the middle of, as you're saying, what is kind of, you know, has been built up to be a main event uh, match, you know, for, for two uh, or at least this week. And was obviously a very high profile match in PAX return last week, right? Like there's a lot of focus on this feud right now. So adding in Archer as a third wheel, seems kind of odd to me they've been doing a lot of mic work with archer on dark lately like having him just kind of come out from the back throwing you know uh jabronis or workers from the back around not even like not even having him do squash matches anymore because you know what's the point he doesn't even need to just coming out and sort of uh cutting promos in the middle of the ring so i don't know if that's sort of been like leading up towards him trying to get into a sort of war of words with eddie kingston over the next little while which ooh, that's that's a challenge for him so Eddie Kingston's got Lance Archer. He's like, you know, clearly got something with Penta and Pack and, and Phoenix at the moment. Uh, so he's juggling a couple programs, and uh, I guess that probably is coming after winter is coming. But uh, what what is your anticipation level for next week? 
I mean, pretty high, you know, even though, as we're saying, uh, some parts of the uh, the Omega Mox feud have sort of been maybe maybe complicated by the, this attack angle and who's involved with that. Uh, even, you know, in spite of that, the whole arc that Kenny has been going on uh, for the past few months is something I'm really, really excited for. And the fact that they've fleshed it out with what looks to be a pretty, pretty solid card uh, underneath that, I think is, again, an indicator of this, um, of this shift that we're seeing both on AEW, you know, and, uh, and on main roster WWE to a degree of sort of effectively having like a mini, you know, pay-per-view uh, on, on television. And when we're talking about AEW who are only doing four pay-per-views per year, when they are giving proper builds towards the matches that are happening on that, you know, TV show, pay-per-view level show, I'm perfectly fine with that. And I think they've done a good job of building most of these matches that we're going to see next week. I think AEW's actually kind of like almost pioneered that formula of like, you know, using their TV shows to build to significant additions um, in place of like, you know, the monthly pay-per-view. And mm-hmm. you know, I have to say, like, I'm I'm, of course, looking forward to the match next week. I don't know if I'm ex- excited for it as I thought I would be. Like, I thought, you know, the the moment that they announced Box versus uh, 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 Omega to headline the show, I thought they were going to stack the rest of this show with like a pay-per-view cali- caliber undercard and not to say this is a bad like card underneath at all, but to me, it feels like more of a glorified edition of dynamite less. So, you know, a, a free pay-per-view that we're getting on TV, which I feel like they've kind of hit, hit in the past, at least that status. But nonetheless, it's like, like the main event is, is going to be the hook for everybody. You almost have the excuse of like, well, they don't really need to try for the, for like the rest of it, or at least not try as hard as they, they, you might think that they need to, because Mox and Omega um, is sure to invite such a big crowd. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they can crack a million? I mean, if there's any week to do it, you'd think this would be it. I imagine, you know, the, uh, you know the, the the news coverage, which which has been pulling away at least some portion of the audience, that has to have died down by this point. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, I, I don't think that NXT has announced any big like you know conscious counter programming to it. So, you know, if they are capable of you know cracking a million uh, right now, I think this would definitely be the time to do it. Yeah. I think it's their biggest shot that they've taken. I mean, I, certainly on an opposed edition of Dynamite. Uh, the last time they did do a million was back in September, and mm-hmm. that might have been one of the unopposed ones. I, I could be absolutely wrong. Um, but that featured a TNT title match between Brody Lee and Dustin Rhodes. So certainly in terms of card, like a way more important one this time mm-hmm. around. And uh, I don't know. Something tells me that, like, I think the wrestling fan is so kind of set in their ways that like if you for whatever reason over the past year and a half didn't decide to watch AEW over NXT last week, I don't know if you're going to do it this week. Um man, I'm going to say just shy of a million. Maybe over 900,000, but shy shy of a million. Uh, so let's go to the forum right now, forum.postwrestling.com, where we uh, invite our patrons to leave feedback after every edition of Raw, SmackDown, and Dynamite. Would you care to join me again, Bruce? Absolutely. So out of 10, what did you guys think of Dynamite? 7.87. 7. 
We start off with Aaron from Brampton, who says, first of all, congratulations to John and his family for their latest edition. As for Dynamite, I think AEW missed a chance to do something interesting with the women's division. Between every title holder in AEW, WWE, Impact, and ROH, Hikaru Shida must be the most bland champion. I think the entire title scene could use a shakeup. Having Anna Jay in the Dark Order hold the belt could have made for a more interesting television. With Brody Lee gone, it would be neat to see her take over the whole stable. If I had to guess, it appears they might hold off on a title switch until Sheeta versus Baker yeah. happens. Yeah. Um, I don't really disagree that like the Dark Order with any sort of championship belt would be a lot of fun, especially uh, if you have somebody like John Silver being a, you know, some sort of like spokesperson for Anna Jay in addition to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Anna Jay is just simply not there yet. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's way too early for her for a position like that. Um. Maybe in two years, maybe even in a year, if like she progresses fast enough. But yeah, uh, we go to MJ, who says tonight's show highlights two things for me: one, the depth of talent on this roster to have TV level matches, uh, TH2, SCU, the main event; uh, two, how much is going on in AEW storytelling. Now, that's not to say all the storytelling is good, but consider how long this Archer Eddie feud has been simmering. Which brings me to my next point: Jr. is so unequipped to be calling the show; it's not funny anymore. Tack just as clueless as he does a year into Dynamite. Can we move past good old JR as being an additive part of the show? Uh, the Mox promo tonight might have been one of the best promos of his generation. Maybe not since Punk have I believed a guy to be on the top of wrestling like Mox is right now, which makes it the perfect time for him to lose. Sure. I mean, I, I yeah, I, there's been there's been a few times when I feel as though JR has been sort of lagging behind a little bit. And especially when we're talking about even hell, you know, like an SCU match that you're not expecting to be some crazy spot fest PWG type match, which it ended up being. Um, you know, I, I have a friend who has kind of gotten back into AEW uh, over the past month or two, and he sort of has made sort of similar comments, just sort of saying, you know, thinking that, oh, he, he does kind of sound a little bit behind with it right now. I don't know if it's just like me, like perhaps like being so consumed with like the action as I'm taking the notes, but I, I honestly haven't really even tuned in so much to like some of the specific commentary. Like if there are any glaring mistakes that JR made on this show, I I wasn't as aware of it. Um I don't really see a point unless it was something completely, completely offensive that he said on air or at least continues, continued to say on air that they would take Jim Ross off. Um, I think they just have such a reverence for him. I think Tony Khan does. I think Cody does Um, that. I think as long as JR can perform at the current level that he can, they probably really appreciate, you know, him being able to lend his voice, lend the, lend his, you know, notoriety, uh, um, and, and just to like, you know, lend his his star power and just the legacy of I think that sound of his voice to the show, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and that to me I think is something that they're willing to exchange, like perhaps completely accurate, up to date commentary for when you're somebody like Excalibur, they know can provide that. Um, yeah, yeah, if 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 there's a clear you know kind of balance of work or division of labor in terms of Excalibur being the the play by play guy, if that's you know if that's something that's understood, yeah. We got to Andrew from Cape Breton who says, with more and more people signing with AEW every week, I'm sometimes seeing this criticism that they have too many people and there isn't enough TV time to go around. While this is true, the biggest positive I find is that every match seems fresh. They could cycle wrestlers in and out. And while the company certainly has their group of people who are the main stars of the show, each week seems fresh. I enjoyed tonight's match-heavy show, and they were able to showcase some talent who aren't often seen. 
While I say this, I do understand some issues that can come with such a large talent roster. For instance, I wish Abaddon had more time to establish herself, as I think she was only on Dynamite once, even before her injury a few weeks back. That said, overall, great show. Eight new PS5s out of ten. Speaking of which, <laughs> I now have, have in my head canon excuse me, that Lana bought Miro his new PS5 with the money she would have received for being on the winning Survivor Series team. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, first of all, it was a Xbox Series X, I believe, right? Or, or is she, or is he suggesting that um, Miro also I mean, has a PS5? I, oh, come on! He's like, we're talking about like serious gamers here, where they are definitely both system, you know, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis. When they were dead broke, they couldn't picture this type guys at this point in the game. Yeah. Uh, we move on to Noah from Vaughn, who says, first off, a huge congrats to John on the newest addition to the Pollock family. The show tonight was so damn fun. Abaddon making her return was just perfect. She's one of my favorites in the women's division and glad she's getting some spotlight now. The Taz Cody segment was fantastic and felt so real. Between his role on Dark and Dynamite, Taz has really been fantastic in 2020. Moxley versus Omega next week has me feeling so conflicted. On the one hand, Mox has been having such a great world title reign, but on the other hand, Kenny being on top of the promotion he's in feels just right. Uh, either way, should be a fantastic match next week. Who do you guys think wins next week? 8.5 show uh, tonight. Kind of, yeah, echoing what sort of what MJ was saying there about, you know, this is the way that hopefully a world title match should feel, right? Where you feel as though neither guy can afford to lose, and yet you also uh, have some assurance that one of them will, that you will get uh, a clean finish. I mean, I'm I'm very much on record as, as thinking that the time is right to, to, to pull the trigger and, and put Omega in the spot. Uh, I'm not sure if you feel the same way, or if you feel that there's any chance that they do some sort of screwy fucked finish on this next week. Uh, I think there's definitely a chance, you know, and I, th- I think, you know, when we talk about like a screwy fuck finish for AEW, I don't think it's going to be as simple as, Oh, um, uh, what is it? Uh, the fiend shows up in the crowd, the lights go yeah. out and then, you know, we get a roll up. Like, I don't think it's going to be that. I think it might be hopefully something a bit more creative um, and a bit more shocking maybe even, but I don't discount that possibility. I don't discount the idea of a full-on heel turn from Kenny Omega, perhaps. Um, but I ultimately feel like we're not going to get a title change. Um, mm. I don't think Moxley will be making his way over. Um, it's hard for me to see that, especially like with the knowledge that like now that he's got a pregnant wife at home. Not to say like you know that that's sort of um, like she's. I mean, as far as I know, maybe not that that deep into the pregnancy, but I. I also just feel like Moxley has so many like responsibilities just being a part of AEW that I I just can't really see him taking the amount of time off required of him to mm-hmm. be a part of that show. Um and I feel like there's still enough life in the in the run here that you can build to a rematch between the two for a pay-per-view perhaps, you know, at Revolution where you do finally execute it. I I do ultimately feel like you know you're getting enough of an audience here to tune into the match itself, but the title change um, I think should be reserved for a pay-per-view match. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a chance that we get a time limit draw as well. Ooh, that's that's a very interesting possibility. And and um, the like, whenever this show this match starts, will be an interesting one. When do you, like yeah. I heard Dave Meltzer say that he really thinks next week the match should start, uh, like somewhere in the in the, in the ten o'clock, oh, sorry, nine o'clock range, just to, so so that you don't really kind of like telegraph the amount of time left in the match. Mm, mm. How do you feel about that? I mean, I, 
from kind of the, 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 you know, the galaxy brain four dimensional chess view. I like that. I mean, I am one of those people who, you know, when I'm watching a, a baseball game on PVR or something and I see how much time is left, you can't help but sort of crunch the math and, and figure out uh, where the story is going to go. So for the purposes of keeping it completely uh, obscure or occluded, uh, I like that as an idea. But I mean, again, we're, we're talking about, you know, your world title match, uh, and a match that has been built up for a lengthy period of time. Maybe if you wanted to start with it in the very, very opening, um, hmm. uh, in, in the very opening, like, you know, just, you know, welcome to Dynamite, boom, coming, you know, introducing Kenny Omega, introducing John Moxley, and then you're totally open, right? It could be 10 minutes, could be an hour. You have no clue then. That would be insane. Like, <laughs> if they wrestle for the whole two hours, which obviously I don't think will ever happen, but, like, imagine if they went so long that they had to like scrap some of these other matches that they had. <laughs> like that would be pretty unique, like for a TV wrestling show and not something I would even complain about. Like I could, as much as I, I, I you know, want to see uh, Jericho versus Kaz, for instance, like if they have to cancel something for this match going on overtime, essentially, mm, like that'd mm. be a really interesting concept. Um, you know, of course the question is, what do you follow up this match with? If you yeah. do put it on earlier, there's enough here, like especially like what is it, Cody and and Darby versus Starks and Allen, like that's a viable, like worthy, you know, follow up. That's not going to completely kill its audience, sure. Make the audience switch channels. So I'm not totally against the idea, but there's just something about I think title matches that I really like having at the very end of a show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So my hope is that like they start it maybe at about. I don't know, the 9.20 range, like have the entrances come out in bell time, 9.30, just so that you at least give the impression that we're going to get a solid 30 minutes from these two. Right. Uh, up next, we got a Justin from New York who says, such a great show, fantastic from start to finish, just a damn near perfect two-hour TV show. Great stuff from Paige and Silver, Sheeta and Jay, everybody in the main, I'm ready for Murder Hawk versus Butcher Hoss fight ASAP. 10 out of 10. Yep, definitely. Um, oh my goodness. Okay, I, I feel like this is really me earning my, my post stripes here uh, as we so go. To, <laughs> grateful for that, that you uh, this one. As we go to Brandon from MD, from NJ, gentlemen. Good evening. What's up, chaps? How are thee? First time, long time. I've never awake to be able to write these due to work. But since it's American giving of the thanks and a salute to the butcher who enslaved Native Americans, I have the ability to construct an email that you can enjoy, and I'm glad you do. AEW was a fine show tonight. Meanderings. <laughs> oh, goodness. Meanderings. Kenny Omega's suit and glasses look. Is it me, or does he look like not the cleaner, but Sato from Karate Kid 2? Oh, I don't remember that one off the top of my head, but that is absolutely a reference I could see kenny getting a kick out of i just always assume it's like some like you know some gaming or anime some, some weeaboo stuff that kenny is deep into whenever he's, he's he's rocking a look that i don't know um i think that's just the way he he looks in, in that type of thing yeah he's, he's he's worn a similar look now that i think about it he has worn a similar look to njpw press conferences in the past mm, so right. that, that that could just be like formal kind of heelish cleaner you know omega uh, Bruce Lord has done a great job filling in, but I'm curious if you think Premier Jason Kenny's lockdown measures are too harsh or for the greater good of Alberta. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I mean, technically I'm from BC, not Alberta, although I do have a lot of friends in Alberta. Um, I could, <laughs> you do not want me cutting a promo on, uh, on Alberta and specifically the premier of Alberta with his, um, uh, I don't know. It, that's a very, um, 
for, for better or for worse, you know, for American listeners, you know, the whole the whole stereotype of uh, of Alberta being the Texas of Canada often holds true. And, and certainly with the way that the pandemic has been handled, uh, I think that also applies here as well. But I'll, I'll leave it at that before <laughs> before I get way and John in any more trouble. Um where else? No, we Today- don't mind. <laughs> if you want it. No, 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 no. I just, I mean, I, I don't know. I've, I mean, I've had, um, I have a friend who's a business owner, uh, a, a nightclub owner actually in uh, Calgary, who's, who's had to voluntarily shut his place down just because the measures aren't strict enough and they aren't doing anything. And he doesn't feel as though he can in good conscience stay open when, you know, he, he feels as though he's continuing to endanger his clientele. The, the big controversy of the day in Toronto has been this barbecue restaurant that has like, oh, yeah. opened up in defiance. Um, and it's just like, God, like I, I, it's just like the type of like debate that, you know, I, I feel like we've had a whole lot of over the past uh, month, like leading up to this election cycle in the U S but just to have something like, like this happen, like so big, um, in, in my own backyard has been yep. just a real shit show, uh, yeah. on, on really several fronts, but anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we had we had a march of a similar thing here in Vancouver a little while ago, and and yeah, when you've got people flying QAnon flags in front of a friggin' barbecue restaurant, like Jesus Christ. Jeez. Anyway, anyway, uh, today is the anniversary of my sister and sister in laws starting a line brawl at an establishment because another woman was trying to creep on her husband. What are your memories of the night before American Thanksgiving in the states? It's a big party night. I don't know. It's American Thanksgiving, so it's just another weekday for me. I yeah, I'm afraid I don't really have any uh feelings of American. You know what? This is my memory of uh It is now. <laughs> yeah. Brandon like are, uh so Bruce are, like you you said last week you teach like uh, uh college level Yeah, 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 college age students. Yep. So are are you like some form of like you know can I call you a professor or, or anything like that? Technically not. I don't I don't have my PhD and I have not been given a, a formal professorship. So okay. so no. But uh, but that doesn't stop my students from doing it because they don't know better. Well, yeah. let me let me just like my, my point is that Brandon from New Jersey has somehow made this post secondary level uh, educator read his feedback, <laughs> which is I think the best Thanksgiving I could give. Uh, and it finishes off with the holidays are coming way. Jingle, jangle, jingle, jangle. Ahem, I'm out of here. Peace. Goodness. There we go. Oh, man. Um, pleasure as always, Brandon. Uh, and that about does it for uh, how, what, how can you follow that? So that, that does it for this edition of Rewind a Dynamite. Bruce Lord, a pleasure again. Uh, great job. You're the top flight. I would say. Oh, cheers. Thank you very much. And that means a lot coming from, you know, the world's foremost expert on Steve Blackman trivia as we, Oh my goodness. Kidding me. That was my, that was my highlight of the year. Definitely. You know, I mean, who, who even remembers who wins, right? Nobody remembers who won the 2015 world series. We remember the bat flip and that was your bat flip. I think (laughs) that's it. My, my black, (laughs) but no, didn't work. (laughs) Okay. Everybody. Uh, Hey, where can people follow you against, uh, 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 Bruce? I know you're not huge on social media, but if people wanted to check out your podcast or hear a bit more from you, where? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Contrasoma, C-O-N-T-R-A-S-O-M-A, as Way is alluding to. I'm a pretty light follow, uh, but I'm also there on um, on Grapple as well on that same uh, username. Um, I don't want to go through the whole rigmarole again of the music website and podcast that I run. That's idiudai.com and the We Have a Technical Podcast. If you're interested in industrial music, goth music, what my partner Alex and I like to call dark alternative music, uh, if you're interested in figuring out exactly 
what we mean by dark alternative music, you could also check out uh, idieudie.bandcamp.com. Uh, we've got some pay-by-donation compilations of original tracks uh, by dozens of upcoming and established acts in those scenes. Uh, and all donations from those compilations are going to the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. Uh, also, you know, I don't know, if you if you want more wrestling uh, and you haven't gotten any gotten your fill yet tonight, go watch the Go Shiyazaki and Katsuhuko uh, Nakajima match on Noah's The Chronicle Volume 4. Friggin' fantastic match. I think it's still up available on Abima TV for a couple of days. Definite match of the year contender. That is awesome. Thank you for that extra suggestion here. And, uh, you know, uh, we don't like our, our I guess, plans week uh, are, are going to vary week by week from this point forward about like when exactly John might make his return. So um, I, I stay tuned, I suppose, for next week's schedule. But I uh, regardless, I it's been so refreshing to be able to hear your takes and your voice on our shows, Bruce. Uh, I would definitely be sure that we would be able to hear from you if you want to uh, come back to the show sometime soon. Oh, I'd love to do that. Definitely. This has been a real, real treat for me. Um, like I think I've mentioned before, you know, I've been tracking uh, you and John's work for many, many years now. And, you know, referencing my own podcast there, you guys have been a major influence on how uh, myself and my partner, Alex, run that podcast and everything. So so getting to sit in on something like this uh, and, and exchange thoughts about, you know, a product that I do enjoy like AEW, it's just been a fantastic opportunity. So I really thank you for it. Well, the pleasure is ours. And uh, as we mentioned, uh, Bushby, thank you very much, Andrew Thompson, for joining us. He will be joined by uh, uh, Martin Bushby, as well as Righteous Reg, and also Benno talking about ROH's Manhattan Mayhem. Subscribe to the British Wrestling Experience feed for that one, or just listen at postwrestling.com. Our friends at Up Next right now have their review of uh, WWE uh, NXT. Uh, we're a few days away, actually, just a little over a week uh, from War Games. So see all the development there. And uh, Friday, I'm going to be back with John Cena for Rewind of SmackDown live for all patrons at 10:15 Eastern. So join me for that and enjoy the rest of your weekend. So talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs>